Welcome back. Just a quick reminder, this is part 4 of the Scott Pilgrimage. So if you missed parts 1 through 3, I'd probably recommend going back to listen to those. You know, just so you get the rest of the story. Otherwise, sit tight and prepare yourselves for part 4 of the Scott Pilgrimage. Kim! We rejoin our heroes, all meeting up at Pizza Pizza, as they were promised, with the band chatting about going to an after party. Kim interjects with, I'm not sure it's going to be much of a party. I think a third of the band just went poom. Steven comes back with basically saying that cool bands don't ever go to their own party, and the only kind of guys you'd find there are desperate people trying to rub elbows with label guys. Kim comes back with, then why would we... Oh, so kind of another moment where I almost feel like one of two things is happening. Either Kim is sort of rubbing it in by playing dumb, or she may have actually been caught off balance once in this movie. Is it possible that maybe she's just not as invested in the sex bob as Steven and Scott are about getting made, I guess, found out, signed? Well... I definitely think it's questionable. I wouldn't say that Kim is the most dedicated to the band, but she's definitely more dedicated to it than Scott. It seems like Scott cared, or they paint the impression that he used to, but he just doesn't anymore. But I guess that's a whole other topic. And Steven definitely feels like he probably brought this band together. So Kim must sit somewhere in the middle of that. She has the enthusiasm. As far as Kim can. <laughs> For what could be considered enthusiasm as far as Ken Pine goes. She's the business end, at least, it seems. She keeps them all wrangled in. She sits in the back, drumming, imagining the different ways that she would throttle each member of the band for the stupid things they do. What can you say, though? She keeps them in line. She is rhythm. She is the percussion, which keeps the rhythm for the rest of the band. That's very true. Good observation. I don't know. It definitely could be that she's sort of trying to taper back everyone's expectation. Like, yeah, we kind of are the desperate people. As the rhythm, I hope in my heart, in the back of Kim's brain, as she psychs the band up before shows, she's thinking, we've got the rhythm, we've got the rhyme, come on, Jamaica. It's bobsled time! <laughs> everyone, welcome to Disney's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Done in live action, because everyone eats that up, apparently. Anyway, Steven wrangles everyone up, and Scott and Ramona discuss whether they're going, go back and forth about it, and then wind up deciding to follow the rest of the band to this after party. They kind of bicker on the way into the venue, and you can tell that Scott is not alright from his fight with Todd. But he's, I guess, trying to hold in there, kind of openly, aggressively. Which leads to a conversation on the way in about one and the other's exes. 
where Ramona turns it on Scott and points out the hostility that he had with Envy earlier on. But that quickly moves on to a discussion about his other exes. As they walk by what would be Scott's rogue gallery if he had a league of evil exes. His league is a lot smaller. It is a lot smaller, but can you blame the ladies? Kim's probably worth at least three of Ramona's evil exes. And more cut from the middle of the pack, not like the first three, because... Those were pretty quick. They do start off by walking by Knives and asking about her, where Scott almost dismissively behaves like he doesn't even remember. He responds to Ramona's question about how their breakup was, and he's like, oh, that? Um, no, I think I broke up with her. Like, it didn't just happen a couple of days ago. He does try to shrug it off. He tries to do that classic Scott playing aloof. When Ramona starts pressing him for details... Scott says that things are all peaches and gravy. Kind of disgusting. Which is a very funny line, I think. And also, kind of gross. I like gravy. I'm not overly fond of peaches. So, peaches and gravy. I guess maybe peach gravy would just be like peach sauce, maybe? I don't know. I'm picturing something much more disgusting. Like, you take the brown gravy from Thanksgiving, and then you open a can of peaches and just kind of pour it into that tub. Yeah. Oh, God. Woof. So I'm hearing the only thing more disgusting than that is cottage cheese and peaches. Got it. Check your dignity at the door. I would rather my relationship with someone be cottage cheese and peaches than peaches and gravy. I'm throwing the gauntlet down. Come at me, people. Sadly, I think I have to agree. Gauntlet down. I do not agree. I would rather have the gravy and the peaches. As they're walking by Knives, Knives is still standing next to young Neil, who it's obvious at this point she's only been with him to make Scott jealous. So Scott tries to assure Ramona that everything is fine with them, that he hardly remembers it, that everything's all peaches and gravy. And as they're passing, you hear faintly in the background Knives mutter, No! Which is equal parts hilarious and sad. The situation makes it hilarious, but the fact of the matter that Knives was very smitten with Scott and just kind of discarded as soon as someone who was more interesting came along is pretty sad. It pretty much would have to be some sort of a psychic whale. Like there's maybe that part of that relationship that resides within Scott. Like he knows. Maybe it's not even Knives shouting no. It would represent the guilt that Scott has for that relationship. And how the only reason it ended is because he clearly became bored with knives and infatuated with mystery woman Ramona. Ugh, Scott, what are you doing, boy? Have you not listened at all to Wallace? A similar scene takes place as Ramona asks about Kim and just as nonchalantly trying to downplay it, Scott says that he can hardly even remember what happened, that it was high school and she had freckles. And a bit more faint, definitely something you have to listen for, but there is kind of another one of these psychic whale guilt screams if you listen real hard, as they had just walked by Kim, who seemed about as stoic and blank-faced as usual, but kind of broke eye contact 
as they walked by her. This shortly does turn into a conversation where Ramona instigates for more details and says that really couldn't be all. And you can't tell if Scott is just blowing things out of proportion because he's tired of all the questions or what. But he brings up a story about how for his relationship with Kim, he fought like 99 guys to get to her. And there was this 50-foot guy in a purple suit that shot lightning bolts and that Scott kicked him so hard he saw the curvature of the earth. You could tell that the discussion had started to boil over between them. I wonder how many coins you got for that victory. I think that technically the coins would have been out of Scott's reach and he might not have known it. But my idea here as to why he didn't get them, because the time he defeated the first evil ex, he was like, oh, coins. And then he picked them up before finding out it's not enough bus fare. He was honestly surprised. Are you saying it could be a situation like with Lucas, who exploded off in the distance? Yeah, so the person he defeated never exploded because it never happened, or it did happen and Scott was too far away. So he never knew the coins existed. But if it happened, it was the one and only time it happened because he was so honestly surprised at the coins after Matthew Patel was defeated. So this interaction is short-lived as Scott quickly meets face to bar counter and a fight breaks out with Roxy. The one female of the League of Evil exes kind of comes at him with her unique brand of Hot Topic style Naruto. You're a hasbian. She's from the village hidden in the Hot Topic. She's from the village hidden in the metal. Do I have to part the ways between Jack Black and Kyle Gatz? to get to the village hidden in the metal. <laughs> <laughs> that no one can ever beat. They've tried. <laughs> Some back and forth fisticuffs happens between Ramona and Roxy, where Scott takes an aside to watch the fight at a distance. He is honestly shocked because he asks Wallace, Hey, Wallace. Huh? Is this really happening? Oh yeah. Kick her in the balls! Do you think that's Wallace's instruction to Ramona in a similar way that he would coach Scott to enter fight mode? I want to dive into this phrase because I wonder if it's intentionally layered. Like, it's cheer him up, go fight, kick her butt, but Wallace, his catch line for that is, kick him in the balls, regardless of gender. Just, that's it. The fight soon involves Scott as he gets dragged into it, once it's brought to light by Roxy that this is an official league fight, wherein Ramona, for most of the rest of the fight, kind of pulls a Kevin Sorbo and uses Scott as some sort of weapon puppet thing. Now, with this, I do have a question, because it's a league fight. If Ramona defeated her, would Roxy still turn into a bunch of coins? I kind of feel like it didn't matter. Like, you have to enter a specific fight tournament style for the other person to turn into coins, versus just like a regular beatdown? You're right, she would have turned into hamburger. Interesting. 
I accept this outcome. The fight concludes itself, and the entire crew gets together right after Ramona and Scott have a final tiff to their argument, where Scott gets drunk off of, I'm gonna say it looked like he maybe finished the first gin and tonic. It's possible. Yes, he downed the first gin and tonic, has his hand on the other one before he starts mouthing off and slurring. And causes her to walk off. She drops a comment where she sarcastically says that she might have a laminate with all of the evil exes. And then interestingly, a moment later, comes back with that very same laminate she was mad about. If you call someone out for something you have and then they call your bluff, you only have yourself to blame. They go over the list and... Scott reaches the part of it where it shows the next potential rivals, which are specifically labeled as twins after their names, and they realize, huh, she dated twins, which is more or less Kim's line when we jump scenes to back in the house. It seemed like a mildly interesting detail. It served to open up the exposition where Stephen gave his presentational musician millennial style TED talk to the band about what they're looking to go up against next, as the Katianagi twins are the next opponents in the Battle of the Bands. We fast forward once again to the crew making their way to the venue. It's basically a jump cut. One scene dissolves and the next scene is them in front of the band poster. Which reads TIBB Sex Bomb, the Katianagi twins. Amp versus Amp. Two bands enter, one band leaves. With exclamation points in increasing amounts between each of these phrases. Kim spices in with, The flyer needs more exclamation marks. It definitely did. I think at least eight more. Small font, though. Wasn't hype enough. Steven goes on to say, What Amp versus Amp? We're on stage at the same time? Scott starts with, that's impossible, and they jump cut to the inside of the venue, where Scott continues, okay, my bad, which Kim responds with, your bad is saying my bad, which really could just be Kim expressing her frustration at Scott talking himself into situations. I think it was definitely a dig. If he had just kept his mouth shut. Steven is in full panic mode, saying, we shouldn't even be here. We shouldn't even be here. Where Scott winds up having to slap some sense into him. Kim again breaks into the conversation asking, Did you speak to Ramona? Which Scott points out that he hasn't since the other night. And again, Kim, not having to do this, decides to kind of derail him and says, Oh, she's totally here. And the camera pans over and circles Ramona's face off in the crowd. I guess Kim maybe trying to look out for Scott says, Scott, not that I care, but you should talk to her before she's gone. Just as Scott's about to say thanks, she cuts him off saying, and I really don't care. Which I think is trying to open up the part of her that cares for Scott as a friend. The part that despite whatever cold exterior she has for him for the rest of the group that he's still part of her circle and 
she prefers that he not be in anguish over the mess that he's in. So she's trying to give him a little bit of advice in what is basically a moment of something that she noticed. She didn't have to tell Scott that Ramona was at the venue. They could have just played the show. But despite the focus he would have had from not thinking about Ramona, she takes the time to point out her presence. So Scott is putting the whole situation together and realizing that Gideon, Graves, and G-Man are the same person. And at this point, the Katyanagi twins have made their appearance and they are about to face off. And the rest of the band realizes Scott is just lost in thought over Gideon. So they keep calling out to him, trying to get him to pay attention. And this is when we have our semi-final showdown, which, again, is probably the most impressive showdown. I always like this one because it is where the entire band gets to participate in it, I suppose. Well, with all the other ones, it's usually just Scott jumping out and basically having a slugfest with whoever he's trying to fight. The fight runs its course. Before we know it, it's over. And Scott is presented with a small pixel version of his face, which turns out to be a one-up. He grabs it and heads off the stage going after Ramona, who appears to be leaving the venue. With the fact that everybody else has seen the coins from the defeated people, I'm confused at this moment that no one else seems to acknowledge the one-up floating above Scott, or accept the pun that he's making. And I wonder if that's because they can't see it, and so he's making the pun to himself, or if they can see it and they're just ignoring it. I'd say they're probably ignoring it. I mean, to be honest, very few people even interact with the coins, except for the couple of times we'll see coming up. But at the same time, it could just be something that only he sees. You never know. It's a good thought. After the battle is done and Scott disembarks the stage, he goes to Ramona real quick before she leaves, just like Kim had recommended he do. He runs into Knives. More than a little surprised to see her, he just kind of stares at her, kind of blankly and lost. Knives just kind of meekly said, I just came to see your show. Scott replied with, I have to, and then basically walked away in his non-confrontational, non-committal way, to whereas Knives turned around and just kind of longingly watched him go away. In which case, he meets up with Ramona outside. That was a short interaction, but I guess for sure it paints what kind of scenario he's in. Like, earlier, when they were at the after party for the previous fight, I'm not sure if he had convinced himself or was just forcing himself to act unaware of just how important he still was to her. But I think it's at this point where he notices that she's still showing up for him, more or less. But by the same token, it seems like Knives is trying to downplay it as well. Because I think she knows at this point that her pursuit of him might be a little bit stalker-y? 
So I guess that's why she either lies about it, or at least that's how she convinces herself that she's just here to watch a show. Right. Scott catches up with Ramona, and they find Gideon, who buys off the entire band with a record contract. To keep it brief, I feel is a quick betrayal play that Gideon instigated. He knew that at least a few of the band members would be desperate enough to get that record contract. So even when Scott turned it down, all of his friends, all of his support network just ditched him because this is what they wanted. And honestly, Scott's buttheartedness over what, from their perspective, is probably a very tumultuous relationship is just another day in Scott. And I guess remember this because it kind of comes into play later with the next scene we're going to discuss. Gideon drives off with Ramona and Scott is left there by himself to wander home. Boom! Door opens. Light goes on. Loud screech from several humans. One specifically being Wallace, who goes, Ah! Turn off the light! Presumably, you just saw some guy's junk. And I apologize for that. And he apologizes, too. A quick moment happens, and then you see Scott sitting with Wallace. And this is where I think Wallace was making the kicker in the balls foreshadowing. Because he proceeds to really kick Scott in the balls. Scott, you know I love you, but I'm going to need my own bed tonight. It's for sex. Right. I also need it for the rest of the week, too. Right. And the year. I get it. Maybe you can move in with Ramona. (laughs) Really like, hey, I'm kicking you out and... That girlfriend that I basically saw you break up with, you can move in with her. She's with Gideon, very saddened in his voice. It's probably just because he's better than you. Either way, this fight's over. Then the phone rings. Dun-dun-dun! Wallace gets the look from the other man in the room. It's for you, big guy. And it happens to be Gideon on the phone, who just picks apart Scott over the phone and negs him on, getting him all riled up and, you know, basically contradicting all of the words he said the night before about being a better man and thank you, Scott. He is a whole bunch of face and a whole lot of evil. The single purpose of this phone call was to antagonize him. Yes. Yes, it was. At this point, They hang up the phone, and you realize that Wallace and the other guy were listening the entire time. As you hear Wallace, and the screen cuts to him, What a perfect asshole! Forget what I said earlier. Finish him. Like, at first, Wallace wasn't really behind it, because, Oh, Scott, you got dumped. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah, this has happened before. It's not a big deal. It's not like this is a life-ending thing or the guy did something horrible. And then he gets the phone call and finds out that this guy's just, like, I'm not necessarily a fan of Scott as the human being flawed character we see on the screen because of some of his choices. But Gideon, now, 
That is a man, I hope, has a bucket of paint dumped on his head while he's walking down the street at least once a week. But just as a side note, for anyone who had managed to catch the faces and names as the movie was going along, the significant other is Other Scott. There's some digging that needs to go in on that. I've got so many questions. This does kind of build on in the same scenario where it seems that all in all, everybody, they've been a very supportive friend group, both the band and Wallace, with basically being there and occasionally offering advice anytime he got himself into one of these scenarios. It seems the whole time, though, if you want to deconstruct their interactions with Scott, they are never really the focus. So it's always Scott taking in this relationship. So taking in his relationship with Wallace. If you remember earlier on in the film, when they introduced the apartment, just about everything belongs to Wallace, except for like a poster and what is it, maybe the NES that's in the apartment? Yeah, something like that. Like his jacket, some clothes. Right. A small other object. It needs something else that Wallace owns to be functional. So it's not like Scott has a separate functional object. And likewise with Sex Bomb, it always came secondary to whatever was going on in Scott's life. Despite the fact that Wallace has taken the time to point out and even throw these aspirations aside as he still tries to maintain a romance life while Scott is sleeping in the same bed as like the two other gentlemen he had over. And the band also, with Steven and Kim, they've been trying to reach for some sort of notoriety for such a long time. While throughout this adventure with Scott, again, they always take the back seat. So I think the scene of Sex Bobomb signing the contract and this with Wallace finally kicking Scott out is sort of the culmination of all of that. They finally... I guess decided we can't just keep doing this forever and this is the opportunity. Now while I would argue that maybe Wallace didn't know that the breakup happened because he wasn't at the Katianagi face-off, maybe he just assumed that from the end of the Roxy fight that it was just a lover's quarrel and that it would pan itself out. I am definitely unsure. The end of the scene at the after party it's definitely, like, questionable. They're either breaking up, or if they're lucky, they'll get through it. Who knows? I like to imagine that Ramona was giving him space. Which, I won't get too much into it, but whenever he brings up what she meant by splitting, she says, I thought you'd get it, I just saved your butt. Which, to me, means, if I was really done with you, I wouldn't have bothered. Oh, yes, I totally agree with that side on the Scots end. We don't know where Wallace is standing in all of these events and what words he actually overhears, but they did not end that evening on a good foot, so I agree it is unquestionable information from Wallace's side. But he is clearly optimistic by suggesting Ramona be the person Scott moves in with. Luckily, he does get to hear what Scott is up against and encourages Scott to go, like you said, kick the ass of this perfect asshole. As Scott 
trounces off to go take this final fight. He works his way through the upper ranks of security in probably one of the more hilarious scenes in the film and makes it downstairs where he finds the sex bombs playing a song with the lyrics that imply that this is boring or that they are boring. I am not even sure. But it's definitely a takeoff of how formulaic bands who sell out are. The confrontation works its way up. Gideon cues Kim to start playing. And she finishes that picture by changing their usual energetic intro and saying, We are Sexabomb and we're here to make money and sell out and stuff. Scott beats up a bunch of hipster no-name enemies to Sex Bob-omb's Launchpad McQuack, or whatever the song is supposed to be called. He makes his way up to Gideon, and the two of them face off for a bit. During this fight with Gideon, it is made apparent very quickly that Scott is being outclassed yet again by another fighter, and Gideon delivers a devastating blow to him. He looks like he's about to bring his sword down and finish the job, when all of a sudden, from the rafters, Knives yells Scott's name and kicks the sword out of Gideon's hand and then kicks him down the stairs. Says, oh, this is adorable, implying that uh, another little girl came to save Scott. And Knives starts declaring that you're going to pay for what you've done. And Gideon thinks... She is talking to him and goes on this long spiel like, look, he had his chances. I, I emailed him and saying, like, this is going to be happening. And he was like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to her. As she points to Ramona and Ramona, of course, confused, says, what? She said, you broke the heart that broke mine. Prepare to chow down, which is one of my favorite lines of hers. It's always great whenever somebody's willing to make a pun out of their own name. Indeed. She goes to fight with Ramona, and Gideon makes an offhanded comment. At least you could say, I know how to put on a good show. And then he starts his bout again. Scott is able to deliver a pretty decisive blow against Gideon, which kind of takes him out of the fight for a minute. And then he goes to break up the fight with Knives and Ramona. Knives kicks Ramona really hard in the face, sending her staggering backwards. And then she goes to attack him, and then Scott grabs her by the wrist. He says, no knives. Then knives kicks Scott in the face. Scott admits, no, I'm the one that hurt you. I cheated on you. I cheated on both of you. Which turns both of their frustration towards Scott. While he's trying to justify his words, he is stabbed in the back by Gideon. Gideon delivers the pretty good line. Scott, you can cheat on these girls all day long, but you can't cheat death. So Scott then melts away into this kind of void desert that he has been in before, kind of when he was feeling like in the depths of despair. And in this desert is Ramona, who he has a quick conversation with and realizes that his reason for fighting wasn't what it needed to be. She helped him realize, in fact, that he needed to be fighting for himself and not for her. So Scott uses the extra life that he has to quickly come back to life. He gets back in to the Chaos Theater and immediately knows what he has to do. The first thing he does is address the sex bombs 
talking about how the new lineup sounds much better without him, that Neil has done a good job, and that from now on, he won't be known as young Neil anymore, he'll just be done as Neil. And in a surprising act of maturity, looks to Kim and says, I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry about me. I think it's definitely the words that Kim wanted to hear from Scott was for him to identify and acknowledge that he did her wrong. Right. Scott then addresses Gideon saying, you're pretentious. This club sucks. I've got beef. Let's go. And he is able to pull out a more powerful weapon than he had before because he is now fighting for self-respect instead of love. Scott decimates the guards and then goes and delivers a swing of his sword to Gideon that is so devastating that it breaks Gideon's sword in half. Then he calls out to Knives because he knows he's up in the rafters. She comes down and before the fight can really get going, he apologized adamantly to both of them. Then he asked if we're all good. Ramona said never been better because now she realizes that she's free of Gideon. Gideon rises up and does what looks to be like ninjutsu hand seals to summon an even more powerful sword. She starts battling Scott and the battle is so intense that Knives has to join Scott they are definitely on the defensive most of the time. They get a few good blows in, but for the most part, they're kind of scrambling. And at some point, Gideon does a move which kind of sends both Knives and Scott hurtling down. Scott's sword is shattered. Knives falls to the ground. And Ramona comes up to him in kind of a semi-seductive way, puts a hand on his shoulder, and then he turns around and smiles at her like, yeah, you're still my girl. Then she looked at him in the eyes and said, Let's both be girls, and then knees him in the crotch. Then Gideon hits her with like the fist of an angry god and sends her hurtling down the stairs, just blinking red, all Final Fantasy style. So you know that she is at her damage threshold and that she could explode into coins apparently at any moment. Seeing this, Knives and Scott realize that they have to finish this and pulling upon the same synergy that they had in the beginning of the film when they were together playing the Ninja Dance Dance Revolution game. They start comboing the crap out of Gideon Graves, and eventually they bring him to his knees. Gideon devolves in some monologue about how it took him so long to put together this list of evil exes. It took him two hours to get all their email addresses to set it up. That Scott is a pain in his ass, and that... He'll never be anything, that he's what's good, he's what's hip, he's what's exploding. And Scott says, you are exploding. And then kicks him in the head so hard that he shatters into coins. It's the final boss, so coins like a fountain erupt from the dais that they're upon and start falling down, all twinkly, sparkly, and majestic. It's slow motion at first, to which Knives and Scott stand in awe. But then it goes to regular time, and then it's just like a bunch of coins that are falling from the ceiling. I hope that everyone had hard hats, or there is going to be a serious OSHA violation on their hands. As Kim notices and says, there goes our deal. Which, Steven suddenly realizes what's going on and says, wait, we're still going to get paid, right? There goes our deal. 
He puts that together, and they scramble after the coins. Scramble, trying to get the coins, yeah. There's a moment where Scott, Ramona, and Knives are kind of making sure each other are okay. And then you hear an ominous voice from Gideon's glasses, which are the final thing to remain of him. So he looks into the lens, and Negascott approaches Ramona and Knives at either side of Scott put up their fists, ready to fight another adversary alongside Scott. But Scott insists that he fights this final battle by himself. We jump to outside the Chaos Theater, where we see Ramona and Knives. They overhear casual conversation about breakfast food. They see Scott and Nega Scott walk out, and they make plans to get brunch. Things are wrapping up. Scott and Knives are talking, and it's kind of like it was before. They were kind of in sync again. They were laughing and smiling with each other once again. So Ramona starts to walk away. And Scott stops her and says, you're just going to go? Ramona reinfers that she still needs her fresh start and that she's tired of people getting hurt because of her past. Scott, thinking she's talking solely about him because of the ordeal he's been through, assures her, I'm sure I'll get over it. She says, I don't mean just you, implying that Knives was also hurt. Basically, they say goodbye and she starts walking away. And in a really awesome moment, Knives looks to him and says, go get her. She says, you've been fighting for her this entire time. Go get her. Which, let's be honest, she is obviously the bigger person here. Obviously, that just comes to a head more with the rest of what she says. Scott, all of a sudden concerned about her and what she's going to do, says, well, what about you? With a very charming kind of chuckle, she says, I'll be fine. Gives him a single peck on the cheek and says, I'm too cool for you, which she is. <laughs> She's absolutely too cool for Scott. Scott rushes to catch up with Ramona, so they walk hand in hand towards the dimensional doorway. Music plays, and the classic fighting game countdown is at the top before credits roll. You can reach out to the hosts of Banter Banter on Twitter. Find me, Manny, at Brogar, C-R-E. Aaron can be found at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. Find Mike at Mike8Time. That is the number 8. Or holler at our podcast page at Banter underscore cast. Or find it on Facebook at Banter Banter Cast. The art for this podcast special was created by at Pepper Troopa on Twitter. Thanks again for listening to part four of our Banter Banter special, The Scott Pilgrimage. We'll be back next week with the conclusion.